0: Cory Redikop. That's me. Has held down many careers in his short time on this planet. Actor, waiter, tree planter, disc jockey, cameraman, editor, lawyer almost, and now the odd employment triangle of publicist, librarian, and author. Cory abides in fredericton his debut novel shelf monkey is either a work of insane genius or an intolerable left-wing screed depending on which review you read he's just written and published with ecw husk welcome to the bibliophile thank you very much reading this novel I was put in mind of Jonathan Swift and his A Modest Proposal <laughs> in which he uh, proposes that babies and young children get stirred up in ragu and all sorts of stews and whatever and eaten That's right. and the point that he's making is a serious one about the way that children are treated and uh, so perhaps we could start on that serious note. This is a satire Sure. Yeah, uh, yes. As I not as meant I read it,
1: seriously, no.
0: But it's hard not to believe that you have something serious to say.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, I think every book has something serious to say. I mean, uh, but it's really up to the reader to, to figure out what that is. I've had people come up to me and on both my books and point out things that I didn't even know were in there. You know, I just I didn't intend that. First and foremost, for writing it, I just wanted to write a story that entertained me. I'm my own audience. That's who I'm writing for. I don't workshop my work with other with others like some authors do. It has to make you laugh. It has to make me laugh and I, I have to be interested in it. That's why I mean, I, this is actually technically my third novel. Okay. Uh, I trashed my second one. i had written about 70,000 words and I reread it and I realized I had no I'd, I just didn't not care one bit about what I was talking about so I just threw the whole thing away Although I did recycle a couple of scenes in
0: this one to save time. And this one, perhaps you could give us a, if not pricey an
1: introduction to it. Well, it's, uh, I was at a festival and Robert Puff, H-O-U-G-H, he's such a great novelist, he asked me to summarize it in w- in one sentence. He helped me, and I think what he said was, it's about a lonely Canadian zombie with a day job who kills hobos. That's the, the, the premise. That's the premise, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, When I started writing it, I I didn't have a plot in mind. I'd actually tried to write something else as well. I wanted to write a zombie detective novel because I had an idea, and I still have it, but I could not get the voice right because I wanted it to read very Raymond Chandler-esque. Unfortunately, I couldn't capture the voice. It read very false to me, and I didn't want to write that because I wasn't having any fun. But I liked the idea of writing from the zombie point of view, even though I knew that I was going to have to take a lot of liberties because zombies are very boring, actually, (laughs) as personalities. I just started with the main character, whose name I didn't even know at the time, just waking up on the autopsy table and seeing where that took me and I actually followed him out the, uh, out the doors into the wilderness of Toronto and, and followed him from there. Only when I was re-editing it did I actually formulate it into an actual plot. Yeah. It was very, me. I mean, not that it is, isn't meandering, if you're listening to me now you know that I <laughs> meander a great deal.
0: But the zombie is <laughs> anything but boring because he's a self-aware zombie.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of novels about zombies, and there are a few written from the zombie's point of view. But in every single one, they're always the special zombie. You know, even the one, I can't remember the name of it, but it honestly was written far closer to the traditional zombie in terms of he was part of a horde of zombies, you know, going around mutilating people, no other aspects to him, really. Uh, But still, he was special in that he could formulate thoughts. You know, he was still a slave to his appetites, but he was certainly far more intelligent than any other zombie around him he had a brain he had a brain he had a brain it was able to function and every book that i've read that has that premise always does that because you can't have a brain dead narrator (laughs) i would be really impressed if someone could do that well and make it readable beyond two or three pages so you have to take a lot of liberties i felt bad about that at first and then i thought we're talking about people who arise from the dead and rot away in front of you you know liberties be damned at that point if you're going to believe that then you'll you know you better be prepared to buy a lot more so you 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 mess up with it and you play with it and you know if people come up to me and say i don't believe that you could actually use your intestines as a rope then i'd say well you know what you're probably right but why why would you not buy that after everything else that came before it if you believe in zombies exactly Yeah. yeah maybe that's my failure that i didn't fully explain the tensile strength of the lower intestine
0: well, actually, uh, your, your descriptions of the autopsy are, they're very detailed, mm. and there's one line that stuck with me, and that was, hands on my chest again, this is the zombie, then gone, then snipping, shifting something deep in me, a sucking sound, a boot extracting
1: itself from mud. Mm-hmm. I'm writing it from the, the zombie's point of view, so I had to... I had to really think, like, if I was sitting there, what would I be thinking and what am I hearing? What happens to him? Because he gets up and he has been opened, his ribs have been removed, his heart has been removed, which is very, very upsetting to him on a, on a metaphorical level, if nothing else. Uh, Yeah, because you can't really feel it. You can't feel it. But your heart, you've been brought up to believe that your heart is, you know, that's the basket of your soul. And, okay, it's on the floor. There's something deeply obscene about that. Forget (laughs) everything else. Forget the fact that your your front is open like a pair of window shutters. That's, you know, that's what really distresses him. But uh, I approached it as I hope he would approach it in a very clinical and detached style. I mean, people have said it's very, it's kind of gory, and it is, but I didn't try to, later on it happens a bit, but I didn't try to wallow in it. I tried to present it very matter-of-factly because this is what he's going through. It's not meant to scare you. If you are grossed out, that's fine. The human body is a disgusting thing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, in, in fact, you know, I've spoken to people who have done autopsies mm-hmm. and it's very much the case if you cut dead skin open yeah. or twist and pull some t- liquid comes dribbling mm-hmm. out yeah. and, and it very much is disgusting.
1: It is. Yeah, exactly. It's, anything you see in a movie has been drastically cleaned up. Even, you know, even the really gross ones, mm. you know, because you just, you can't capture how much stuff just comes out of you.
0: <laughs> that that realization, the fact that we are, I don't want to say disgusting, <laughs> but that that's what our bodies are.
1: Yeah.
0: And putting your face almost literally into it is mm-hmm. what you're doing here. I see it as a comment, a commentary on, well, the fact that we are going to die, the fact that we are very much sort of creatures, mm-hmm. despite us having brains that enable us to think wonderful thoughts and create amazing universes?
1: Um, I lost the question,
0: um, yeah. yeah it's I mean- juxtaposition or it's this sort of in your face, he's got self-awareness, Yeah, he's able to see his own guts spilling out onto the floor that in itself is reading that it, you know is a is a kind of a, an awakening
1: or an alarming well, yeah, realization that is true i mean i think it's it's probably his i mean his father died when he was young so he understands mortality but you i don't believe anyone really understands mortality until they're faced with it in a serious uh, even if you've seen it you've been through it with relatives as i have but still until you've undergone it yourself you really can't comprehend it i mean what he's going through is it's really d- what d- anyone goes through with any sort of disease. But I it's mean, also suddenly...
0: disbelief, though, isn't it? It you is disbelief, because
1: you can't believe it's happening yeah, to you. I mean, you. I'm, I'm going to die? That's almost impossible to believe. It is. It's, it's, I, I don't believe that anyone can grasp it, really. I mean, you can't. Whether you hmm. believe something's going to happen at the end of it or not, you don't know what death is. You can't know what death is. And even... You know, because it's it's the ultimate frontier, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't like to think of it like that, because that that makes it seem like there's a terrain beyond it. To, to and I don't know if there is. Well, I want to believe there is, but I I don't think there is. The irony, of course, is that there in this book there is, and it's there, kind of a,
0: there is. I mean, right. it's ugly, but not so ugly. There's humanity in it as well, which
1: is again ironic. Are you talking about when he's? Actually dead or beyond when he's wakes up again and he's resurrected.
0: I'm talking about when he's resurrected. Okay, yeah. He's despite eating
1: human beings, yes. he cares for his cat. Yeah, one person wrote me and said, "Please tell if you t- if he if he eats the cat, you tell me now because I'm going to close the book." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: like I would
1: never do that. He eats a number of animals, but not his own. I felt there needed to be something to attach him to the to the animal world in some way. You know, his mother is very sick, suffering from dementia, so that's no help. She's a zombie. She's a zombie, she is. I, I used the phrase, I stole, I did not steal it, I asked James Morrow, the author, for permission to use it. He used the phrase, tattered ambulatory cadaver in his novel, Shambling Towards Hiroshima. And I just, when I read it, I loved it so much, I, I, I found his email and wrote him and said, can I use that? And he said, you know, authors are allowed to steal from other yeah. authors, you know. So they're supposed to exactly, and that's what she is, and she belongs to you know she's at basically the last step ward of the hospital of the of the of the nursing care center. She's not, and unfortunately, not a great one. I needed it to have not a great one to cover over some plot holes, you know. Mm -hmm. I needed there to be an inattentive staff because otherwise it wouldn't work. Which is horrible. (laughs) Uh, I certainly don't, you know, I didn't mean that as a commentary on nursing homes in general.
0: There's a line about the white walls being, uh, you describe it in a humorous way, which I must say that the book is packed with it's not a difficult read mm. but it's a very uh, rich read because you do have to pay attention if you pay attention to the sentences
1: that will mm. reward you well thank you very much i mean that's i i'm going to consider that that's high praise um i mean as i said i write the story that i want but i'm glad it, uh, if it's affecting you in that way i'm terribly glad i i know both I from the way i, I talk sure and the it. way i write i have a tendency to overwrite and I have to cut back, and that's always a problem with me. It is a little self-indulgent, which I have to work at. But, you know, I explain it in that, well, the character's telling the story here, so he's self-indulgent. It's his fault, not mine. It's,
0: it's dense, but not in, a, not in a negative way, but you can't no, it's, read it's this book. It's you not cannot. David
1: Foster Wallace
0: dense. Thank goodness. <laughs> There's no footnotes in here that I'm aware of.
1: No, I don't believe yeah, so. Okay. No.
0: <laughs> the character, Sheldon, is an actor... Uh, not a super successful actor. He's coming back from New York after mm-hmm. having done yeah. an audition. The life of that actor is very zombie-like. It is. It's demeaning, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. He's treated as a chunk of meat who can't play a homosexual
1: yeah, even even, exactly. was actually enough. Exactly. I used to act, and certainly I never got to the level that even that he's at, and I certainly never had as horrible situations as he had, so I don't want to speak ill of the profession, because I, I admire actors a great deal, especially if they can make a living at it, because it ain't easy. But part of the reason it ain't easy is because it is really the only profession out there where you're legitimately allowed to judge people based on what they look like. So and if it, You
0: don't have the look. Exactly.
1: Then and next. that's that's one of the reasons why I stopped. I couldn't handle that kind of rejection. I could handle, okay, you're not reading it right enough, we don't think, but the, pa- the fact that, you know, you're too tall, you're brown haired, or anything yeah. like that, like to be judged on that is, it is demoralizing. It's dehumanizing. Dehumanizing and I certainly wasn't good enough that I, I couldn't be one of these actors. No, no, I, like uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. you know, we want somebody else. I can do that. I can be somebody else. Yeah. I can be shorter. I can be taller. You know, yeah. I can be blonde. I can be a woman. There he goes. It is. It's very demoralizing. It's very dehumanizing. Even when he's auditioning for a reality show, there's no reality in reality shows. We know that. But even then, he fa- he basically fails at being himself. They're telling him you're not yourself enough. And he's always had that problem. He's never been able to be him and I'm not saying that in real life he should be gayer that's you know stereotypical gayer but he's never felt comfortable in himself because he's never been allowed to be himself you know his mother was very judgmental so he never came out to her uh, so he had a very hard time forming relationships because of a domine- I think because of the domineering mother and the fact that he, he didn't feel comfortable coming out when he finally does come out he never forms uh, long lasting relationships and he's in a job where he always has to pretend to be somebody else so and even when he becomes a zombie he doesn't become a full-fledged zombie you know he can't commit to that you know he just can't go on the rampage because he's still got moral qualms kind of a wishy-washy zombie really (laughs) yes you know
0: (laughs) well it's a bit like a gangster with a conscience that's good. I like that. Actually, yeah, like Tony Soprano has got a.
1: Tiny, you know what? Somebody else made a comparison to the Sopranos. I can't remember why, but I was. just I didn't see it, but that's fine. I was just like, oh, "What an yeah. interesting comparison!" It's the Sopranos of zombie novels. Sure, why not? And there's a Mennonite in there. It's the complicated <laughs> kindness of zombie novels. It's whatever you want it to be.
0: Well, that's again a zombie's kind of hollow. You can fill exactly. it out the way exactly. you want Exactly.
1: That's that's what uh, that's what he is. He's a vessel for everybody else. He's not himself, and he doesn't really know who he is. And even at the finally at the end, you know, he says, "I'm gonna zombie up." You know, and even when he like he's with his agent, uh, I don't want to give too much away. But you know, it becomes apparent that he's a zombie. You can't hide that forever. So you know, he becomes rather famous. Uh, being a zombie. You know, they're trying to document him and his agent is saying, you're going to have to monster up some more. You know, you're too nice. <laughs> Get Nice gets you Matlock audiences, which is not what we want.
0: <laughs> yeah, now she's a bit of a zombie too. I see zombies in almost every freaking character in the book.
1: Well, I mean, it's a very malleable creature, um, the zombie. Yeah. I mean, they serve as metaphors for, for anything, which I think is part of their strength and part of their weakness, because they can be used, so it's sometimes it can be really lazy. You know, they're zombies. It can be, depending on how you deliver it, a very lazy message. And people have asked me, like, why is are zombies so popular right now? Uh, and I think part of it is the message, part of it is the gore that you can do. But honestly, I think part of it is, you know what, they're incredibly cheap. <laughs> (laughs) It's much easier to make a zombie than a 30-foot monster. You know, you take a person, and you pale them up, you slap some meat on them. There you go. There's your zombie. As a as a movie character, movie character, or yeah, a, even as a Halloween outfit. Exactly. Uh, I I think that is explains the rise as well, in that we, they're, they're they're fairly cheap. That's why you're seeing a lot of those. They don't. They're not trying to make a message well, other than that. Yes.
0: Although, again, as the reader, I'm tempted, uh, overly tempted to pour as much into this this idea of yours as oh, as I I would, can. I
1: would I would never stop you. I'm not yeah. going to pull a Ray Bradbury and say you're completely wrong. For 50 years you've been misinterpreting Fahrenheit 451. It's about television. I'm like when I read it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> That's right. Quit <laughs> taking my that? book away from me. That's This is one of my favorite yeah. books of all time. Don't yeah. tell me what it's about now. You had 50 years to correct us.
0: Well let me keep pouring stuff in then if I could. The fact that he's a homosexual homosexual love the way he uh, lives it. It's as much of a sort of an addiction as as anything. Well, first of all, the fact that his boyfriend is just a set of abs. There is no love. And when you look at much of the homosexual culture, sexuality, you find... Now, again, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of it is... Not inhuman, but it's just
1: fucking, it's just... I mean, I think I know what you're trying to say, but I, thir- I certainly don't think that's something that you can only claim of homosexuality. Heterosexuality no. is, is the same.
0: Yeah. What I'm reading here is, is again, this lack of humanity that a zombie mm-hmm. would have. And the promiscuous... I know that there's a, a portion of that segment of the population that the lack of attachment is rampant. Yeah. And an upsetting. As much for themselves as well, for anyone
1: else. I don't feel qualified to comment on that. It certainly wasn't my intent to suggest in any way something demeaning. Heterosexual people are are just as lonely and just as confused and there certainly are <laughs> there are tons of people out there of you know just fucking for the sake of fucking i don't think you can you can segment it into just homosexuality my intent was just from the character's point of view he's had a time i never actually considered him promiscuous he's had some relationships but he's just he's never been able to take that step mm-hmm. you know i never saw him in my head and i certainly i don't present him as a, as a slut <laughs> no, you don't, but you do... But but you're right, he doesn't have an attachment to Fisher. His boyfriend that, that he... Uh, well, I don't want to, again, do, give it too much away, but he does end up killing his first boyfriend. But it's more out of surprise. If he had a thought about it, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't have or he might have been able to control himself, but the surprise aspect of it kicked in impulses he didn't know he had because it was very early on. He's only been a zombie for a few hours. Uh, and he, he mulls this over later that I don't feel bad about it, that bad about it. And so, to, is, you know, am I a standard zombie? Or am I, am, I, am I a horrible person? Yeah. You know, and he's honestly not sure or if his emotions are stunted, if this is part of it. I mean, he, he later on, he has to come to grips with... You know, he does justify it in the what his actions and that, well, this is, this is what a zombie has to do to survive. And I shouldn't feel bad about it. He does realize that you just can't go on murderous rampages. You know, he's going to have to be very, very careful. I mean, I always meant that, but I, I certainly did not mean... The character to represent some sort of view of the homosexual lifestyle.
0: No, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you're trying to. No, well, thank put, you. Put no. any any portion of the population down.
1: Yeah, I'm just commenting I'm, on, on. I'm far more likely to put heterosexual people down than homosexual. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> heterosexual people are idiots.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs>
1: This is an uncomfortable subject for some people. Well, it right? is. And, but you're right, it, it deserves it, to be talked it, about. Exactly, if people are, If people are reading it like this... I, like, I want to be clear, that was never my intention, and, and I would never in my life try to present a character that I thought in some way was meant to serve as a representation of the whole. You're not generalizing, yeah. Yeah. but like, the I point don't...
0: is that there... I know from speaking to friends yeah. that that aspect of promiscuity in in the homosexual population can be extremely demoralizing. Not I that probably, it isn't for heterosexuals as well. Yeah. But the fact that you've made him a homosexual and a zombie—that's why I'm going where I'm yeah, going. Yeah. No. With the and
1: I. And no. And you're right. I mean, quite frankly, I didn't realize he was a homosexual until he killed his boyfriend. When because I thought, oh, he's he, somebody's going to need to come in at this point. Let's ramp up the action there. And then I realized, holy cow, he's gay. I honestly, at that point, didn't know him. And then it made sense to me because there's another aspect of him that he's never been able to feel at ease in because of the way he's been brought up. I have the deepest sympathy, I don't don't like the word sympathy, but I hate the fact that people are led to feel that they can't be themselves like that. It's getting better, and it doesn't speak for everybody, Mm -hmm. but I hate the fact that people are brought up to hate themselves for for Mm -hmm. something that is innately natural. It ends up in suicide. It can end up in suicide, or apparently Republican politics. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Did you ever see that documentary that was made on Republican homosexuals? No. Who hadn't come out of the closet? No, no, no. They are apparently the ones that are the harshest when it comes to legislating anything that affects homosexuals. It's because it's so full of self-hatred. Clothing. Exactly, yeah.
1: It's, I mean, it is fascinating. I, I, I often like to log cabin Republicans, or now there's a, even a harsher one, Geo. Proud. It's almost, I guess, in a way, I admire them for sticking to their principles, even though they're in a party that actively condemns them at every turn, what would I do? I could never be part of a party that would, you know, even if I agreed with everything they said, And but then they said, you know what, but we think Mennonites can't marry, and we're going to actively campaign against it. You know, fuck you, I'm gone. I don't care if I agree with everything else, because that's a basic human right now you're talking yeah. about. I think a lot of people, they should ask themselves that before they vote. I mean, if somebody is on this way, and they're saying, because people rationalize it, and they say, Look, well, I, I'm not voting for that. I'm voting because of his stance on taxes. It's like, so you're saying that your taxes, your lower taxes, are more important than another person's basic human rights. That's what you're rationalizing, and that's that's bullshit, you know? You know, if that's the case, just don't even vote. If you don't want to vote for the other person, don't, but don't vote at all. I mean, we've seen that, especially in the last American election. Like, they're just coming out of the woodwork, these nutcases who are on the science boards. You know, there's no such thing as legitimate rape. And I hate them for making me hate them, Mm. because I don't want to hate people. I hate hating people. But they're so disgusting. (laughs) They're so vile. And
0: again, now, are they zombies? Like, are they true to themselves?
1: Exactly. That's not necessarily just a conservative thing. There are people who always vote party. But sometimes, do you have the courage to stand up to your party? They're told to to toe the party line. Whoever's in power, that's what happens.
0: Look at those, again, this is off-topic, but those
1: courageous eight Tories. Yeah, yeah, who voted for cheap, drugs for Africa. Africa. Being
0: able to sell generic drugs, they they didn't sell out. They
1: didn't. Only uh, eight of the 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 entire party. Used to be apparently 20 That's right. and now it's 8. Yeah. Only 8 had even the courage to say that they can't in good conscience vote for this bill. No, because it's keeping
0: inexpensive drugs right. from saving lives.
1: Exactly. You're condemning people to death yeah. for your politics. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're doing here. You are condemning these people to a very <clears throat> horrible death when with the stroke of a pen you could make their lives immeasurably easier. Until so 8 And out you, of you know fuck everything else hundred. fuck economics fuck yeah. all that. I don't care. It comes down to this. You voted that money is more important than people. That's, and corporations, yep. they're not people, but you voted that corporations are more important than a basic human need.
0: And you know what the zombie tie-in there is? You look at Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. You look at the fact that a lot of these protesters are dressing up as zombies because they're objecting to the way that people are putting money ahead of, of yeah. life. I mean, I completely sympathize and I completely get it. So everyone in the Conservative Party, except for these eight, are zombies. That's one way of looking at
1: it. I don't want to condemn everybody, but that is one way of looking at that, because I cannot believe that they all think this is a good idea.
0: Unless we're missing something.
1: Yeah, we're way off topic. We are.
0: (laughs) That's why I keep dropping in the zombie references. Yeah. Let's get back. Yeah, but I just
1: don't want to say it's just a conservative thing. We all do that to an extent, and everybody does it. It just seems lately that it's more and more conservatives, but that may just be because... That's my mindset. And if you're a Republican, you're just watching Fox News, which seems to be very key. It's, and that's the reason why they can't believe... Like, what did I just read today? Half of GOP voters believe that Obama stole the election. How is that possible that you're that ridiculous? Are you really saying that? are you just afraid of black people? Or are you tell just racist? Truth. Are you just racist? You know, and don't tell me that the Tea Party isn't racist. I'm sure they're not all racists. But boy, that party sure sprang to life fast when a black guy came to powder. Yeah. And again, it, you know, you want
0: to use the zombie analogy, it's that they're not thinking.
1: No, rationally. no, and you're right, a zombie, the classic zombies, not Sheldon so much, they're mob mentality, but they're also very individual, individualistic in that they have no conception of anything outside themselves, you know, because they are brain dead. And that's why zombies are a great metaphor for humanity, on any level, because all they do is consume and rot, and that's all we do. I think it's one of the first movies that came out it depicted zombies as consumers
0: in a shopping mall.
1: Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. That was brilliant. Yeah. I mean and no no zombie film has ever come close to that level of satire. Mm-hmm. And and nailing it like that. Yeah. You watch it now and it's quaint, but seriously, that's got to be one of the first serious horror films anybody sees cuz that's the way you actually get you don't want to be inured to horror films which and unfortunately it happens to the best of us. But that's the one of the ones you want to see first before you get in your... just to get the whole impact cuz when I saw that the first 10 minutes are just the goriest thing I've ever seen. And now I look at it and like, yeah, not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's gory. It's gory, but it's certainly, you know, you can see the seams and stuff, but
0: That's the the concern about pornography. You get desensitized you to get pornography. Desensitized, yeah. and you want more and more. You want you want, you want something more. that'll keep you what uh, feeling more and more alive because it deadens
1: you. Yeah. Well, I th- and I think I don't think that's just necessary violence or pornography. I think it's everything. I'm speaking with Corey Retikop, who is
0: the author of Husk which has been called a superb, blood-splattered comedy, You'll Laugh, You'll Cry, You'll Puke, by <laughs> Andrew Kaufman, author of All My Friends Are Superheroes and the Waterproof Bible. Which um, everyone should read, by the way. <laughs> okay.
1: they, are, they are awesome works. He's one of the authors, well, everyone who blurb the book, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, but he's one of those authors that you read and it's just like, how did you do that? Because it's so insane these weird characters and he's got frog people and biblical floods and it's just like somehow it all works out like how did you do that i'm in awe i'm in awe of people who can do that
0: i want to get back to uh, <laughs> the humor in the book and homosexuality i want to let go of this he's going for this audition and i think it's the woman yeah who's doing the auditioning says not gay enough and later on, she wants to see the
1: homo you can't wait to bring home to Mum and cornhole your right. brother. Very, very flamboyant, yet very non-threatening. In a way. I mean, it's such a weird thing to say he's just a normal guy, because nobody's normal. Even he's not normal, because he becomes a zombie. But by a standard person's rationale of normal, I guess he probably falls into that. He's a very boring person, really. You know, it's zombies is the first exciting thing that's ever really happened to him, other than be, I think uh, being an extra on the X Files.
0: Well, and what a fascinating story for for him to be viewing, right? As, the, as almost like an, uh, an outsider, he's observing his own incredible existence. Yeah. Or as you say,
1: resurrection. And he's basically, I mean, he's the only person that's been able to document how the human body rots. But of course he first finds hand. ways, yeah, yeah. firsthand. But he finds ways around that. To keep the plot going, I, I, I tried to get very creative. At one po- some point it's like, if I don't actually find a way to repair him, he's going to fall apart well before the halfway point. <laughs> well, he repairs himself, doesn't he? He repairs himself. Yeah. He does some some makeshift mm-hmm. meatball surgery on himself and staples himself shut at one point. And then later on, he uh, has a plastic surgeon do some uh, more advanced, highly unethical treatments. I would imagine. But since you know he's practically inured to pain, he doesn't have that much of a conception of it anymore. He's able to compartmentalize it off because the nerve endings are dying. <laughs> so you don't need any right. kind of so, anesthetic. Right. So you can put uh, packets of cinnamon under the skin, perforated, to just sort of mask the putrefaction. <laughs>
0: Either putrefaction or putrefaction. Putrefaction.
1: Rot. rot. Decay. Rancidity.
0: We'll look at the acting profession then one more time. Okay. A life of acting is a life devoted to the absence of pleasure. Every friend is a competitor. Every job temporary. Every compliment backhanded.
1: Well, I think I'm overstating it. But there is a lot of that. Because you are going up for the same parts a lot of the time. You know, part of the human condition is jealousy. And there's a lot of it in that for people who are getting the jobs that you aren't. And And you rationalize it. Well, you know, come on. you know, Look at his pecs. It has nothing to do with his talent. Look at that chin. That's genetics. That's the reason he got that part. So, I mean, at one point he says, uh, you know, with with my face, which is not a horrible face, but hopefully I could get a job as a character actor, like doing best friend roles or something. And, And maybe by that way... He could like, you know, he could transcend it like a... Uh, who am I thinking of? Well, like the great character actors who've become stars. Like a Paul Giamatti mm-hmm. is always my, my go-to guy lately because he is an unusual-looking guy, an yeah. unusual-sounding yeah. guy, but he's magnetic, and he's been able to get to a point... Through perseverance and through a a degree of luck, which is what every actor needs, to get the right parts to display his talent. And now he's been able to expand it and go beyond. It's like, wow, he can play John Adams.
0: Let's move along then. He's been resurrected. He gets in touch with his agent. Her name is uh, Rowan. Rowan. And she had been given an empathy vaccine when she became an agent, killing the emotion processing modules in her brain and thus making her a highly effective contract negotiator.
1: (laughs) Another zombie Another zombie Please don't think it represents every agent I needed a commanding character But I didn't want it to be necessarily sympathetic Because of what happens later on Plus I I like nasty characters
0: In that same section of the book you reference Sheldon's Let's see here All thoughts about resurrection forgotten As the money signs Shook their gold dipped Fannies at me Did I write that? Yes you did That's not bad 200,000
1: bucks,
0: <laughs> right? That's right. He's going to get 200,000 dollars. He's going to get $200,000. Now zombies are overwhelmed by
1: money, this whole consumer culture that we're living in? Well, I think you can look at it like that. That, was, that really wasn't my intention. At that point, he needed a life raft that he would grab on in order to continue his existence. A very vile existence because what he's what he has to do to survive is vile you know and i try again i tried to present that very matter-of-factly that rather than say sensationally or uh, you know try to work up the suspense because i wanted to approach it as he would approach it even though he's feeling very queasy but but later on it does become like going to a buffet it's lunch this is okay. lunch and if i'm hungry i'm gonna go pick up a drifter for lunch No, I mean, back to the agent. I mean, I I made her harsh in a way because of my background. Like, I went to law school and uh, I articled for a few months before I quit. But what I realized is that for a good lawyer, or I think for a good agent, for a competent agent, you don't want someone who's going to be your friend. You know, you don't want someone who's going to get involved in your life who's going to feel empathetic towards you. You want somebody who knows the law, knows how to use the law, and won't have their judgment clouded in any way by your situation. You need a clinicalness to it.
0: But by the same token, they also need to be able to ignore what's right and wrong and
1: just go for what their client needs. That's Well, that's true to an extent. I certainly, I mean, not all lawyers. Again, I guess what, Corey doesn't like to lie. That's why he, did, he wasn't a good lawyer. That's not the reason. No, <laughs> but by
0: the same token, lawyers must, in order to do their job, mm-hmm. basically argue one side of the story. And they focus on that yeah. entirely and they'll ignore everything else. They'll ignore everything else if they can.
1: They, Sometimes yeah. legally they can Yes, yeah. no. Within
0: the bounds of the law, they won't the necessarily of
1: the law. do what's morally right. What's morally right is to defend your client to the best of your abilities. If you're presuming, as I did, that you are representing someone accused, you have to present them as innocent. Yeah. It's not your job to prove their innocence, it's their job to prove his guilt. You're not, not going to give the judge any help. Anything. But still, there are degrees, and, and again, we're off topic, but if something comes to your attention that is damaging to your client that the other client doesn't know about, there is a huge gray area into the idea of, are you allowed to do this? You are technically not allowed to hide that. Mm-hmm. Because it, A, if it comes out, you're going to get disbarred at the minimum and set yourself up for huge lawsuits. You won't get a raise. You won't get a raise. You won't be made you, partner. You, you are not just representing your clients in a way. You are representing the system. And if you are subverting the system, then the system isn't working. And then you are part of the problem. And now, certainly no, not every lawyer does that. You know, the great degree of lawyers are, are terrific, but you can't deny that that does happen.
0: But winning, too, isn't it?
1: It is an adversarial process. You are right. Yeah. Well, and and instead again, of, what's instead of clubs, you've got statutes. You know, yeah. Instead of knives, you've got case law.
0: Although we t- keep tending to veer off topic, <laughs> we are and we aren't. Because the central question is, well, what is a zombie mm-hmm. and what is a human? Right. And so in each one of these cases, that's what we're
1: trying to define. And you're right. And people look at it as they, as they want to believe it. It wasn't my intention when I wrote it to imply that all these people were zombies. But again, it's easy to assume that because a zombie is such a malleable character. It's, a zombie is a great metaphor. Yeah. I think in the book though, and this is honestly something I didn't consider until I was rereading it, that A, since he's a homosexual, there's certainly an AIDS metaphor in there and that the body falls apart. I think there's a more general just fear of disease in any form and that what people have to go through. Fear of
0: death. Fear of
1: death, but also fear of having your body fail you. It is a disease, is what he has. You know, it's just he just can't take pills to make himself feel better. He has to commit cannibalism. Although it isn't cannibalism because technically he's not human anymore. You know, that becomes your prey, not your species. But also when I when I look it back on it, I wonder if, you know, I've had I've had members of my family pass away because of disease. I don't know if I've ever dealt with it properly. I don't know like in the ways that people deal with it. I've had people come up and you know give me chicken soup books and you just no, that is not my way. No. I am not going to deal with it like that and I you know through platitudes, but by writing this maybe in some way I'm trying to come to grips with disease in a way. That makes it sound a lot more serious than it is, folks. It's
0: a laugh riot! There's not that many novels that I I laugh out loud at, but I did split a gut (laughs) (laughs) reading reading this section that I'd I'd like you to read out in a minute or two. But before that, there's lots of chapter breaks, and some of them begin in a really abrupt and startling and gripping way. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, this is the chapter Bargaining. Infestation. I don't believe anyone could have a real conception of horror until he has witnessed a fly hatch under his skin and burrow itself out
1: certainly caught me off guard. <laughs> I'm glad you see the humor in that. He's very self-aware. I mean, there's a lot of me in the character, obviously. Like, I make jokes a lot. You know, and maybe it's, uh, I don't know, I wasn't very popular in school, so you find ways to get around that, and one of it is by cracking wise, and that's sort of the, the role that I took on. Class clown. Yeah. Some people say, stop, because you're not taking it seriously. I, I think I am taking it seriously. When I stop making jokes... We're fucked. <laughs> you know, this is just my way of dealing with it. It doesn't. I'm not trying to weasel my way out of it. I am taking it very seriously, but it just comes out in the way of jokes. And eh, maybe that's just rationalization, and I'm an asshole. I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I also grew up. I mean, I grew up on Monty Python and The Goons show and Douglas Adams and you can't help but be infected by that. I like the odd and the grotesque. I, I like the humor. I find some the idea of somebody standing in front of a sink with his intestines slopping out, and he's trying to shove them back in, I find that hysterically funny. I, and I blame I my parents for that, because I might as well. I don't want to take responsibility for how horrible a person I am. It's their fault.
0: The knight who gets all his appendages chopped off. Yes, the black knight. Spraying yes. blood all over the place. What you do, though, is the way that you handle it with off-the-cuff one-liners. There's a scene in the bus where uh, I think there's an older woman. Yes. I
1: like stories and chapters that sort of begin in the middle of the action and work their way backwards and forwards. I don't know why I like it like that. Well, it's a traditional,
0: it's a traditional very effective way of, I think it goes back to Aristotle.
1: Yeah, he, he can. you could never get a straight answer out of him either. That's right. <laughs> and talk about long-winded. Oh, have you read the poetics? The man never shut up. Well, it's a thin little book, though. <laughs> I mean. It's a densely thin little woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, that old woman says, I've got mace in my
1: purse, asswipe. Ah, That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: He's touching her hand because you're thinking, maybe I'm deaf. Yeah. So he's touching her hand to see if she dies. Yeah. And it's not working, so he's pressing harder. <laughs> or I thought maybe maybe she doesn't know that I'm here and she can't feel me or, you know what I mean, I'm visible oh, or... Oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a ghost. Yeah, maybe I'm a I ghost. I never even thought yeah, about like, that. I, I never even make considered an that. here. Yeah. My goodness, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I miss that. Finally,
0: if I could, this is where he's now, he's auditioning now for another position after he's become a zombie.
1: Yes. I should say at this point, I mean, this the scene you're looking at, I did it as a transcript of an audition. Because, I, I mean, I like actually kind of messing it up on the page like that, too. I like the visual nature yeah. of it, the the visual, something you probably don't get as much if you're just hearing it. They've you actually sold the audiobook rights. I don't know how they're going to do the scene. I'm actually quite interested to hear that.
0: It's printed in a typewriter typeface. Yes, exactly. A, a yeah, I
1: changed the font. and I don't know, I just enjoy color. visually ma- mi- mixing it up like that because you don't get a lot of visual clues. You get clues. From, uh, Tristram Shandy, do you? Um, sure. <laughs> I've never <laughs> read it, I'm sorry. I saw the movie with Steve Coogan. It's nothing like the book, but then again, that's the point. The book is filled with
0: wonderful typographic Exactly, good. but the book
1: never gets to the point. He never even gets to his yeah. birth. I love that idea. I should mention that Sheldon is dead and he's gone to an audition, but Sheldon has had to learn to talk again. It's always bugged me that, that, that zombies make a lot of noise in the movies. They seem to groan and moan but their lungs aren't working, so why would that happen? So I actually had to have him, you know, from thinking of his point of view, I thought he's going to have to learn to rebreathe. He's got to put a lot of effort into talking. I mean, there's no involuntary breathing anymore. It's all voluntary, so he's got to constantly keep the air flowing to, to make any noise.
0: He has to do this in order to talk. In he order to talk, not, not to stay alive,
1: but to, in order to make himself heard, he has to do this. And so that becomes, it leads to a very halting form of speech, plus very guttural sounds that sound like death it it gets to a point where it gets very weird and i had no idea why i had written it like this but i was just having so much fun i couldn't stop that his voice is so unsettling that it actually causes people physical discomfort you know it's in, in the way it's like i'm just thinking about this now but martin amos's book the information where the man you know have you read it i have but the man writes a book so bad yet so overwritten and so postmodern, it's bad that people get spontaneous nosebleeds before they finish the first page. And I thought that was so awesome. No one can read it. It's so dense. I love that idea. So, this is uh, the, from the transcript. So, D is the director. JG is actually uh, Sheldon, but he's under his pseudonym Gary Jackson. His no, nom de plume, nom de plume his sure. actor's alias. Sure. His agent said his name. Sheldon Funk wouldn't read well, so he's Gary Jackson. Very nondescript. And there's C.A., who is the casting agent. Yeah, so those are just the the designations here. So it starts here. D. Look, I know the plot's a joke, but they all are when you think about it. What I want to do is to bring the audience back from their safe little torture porns and shove the dread down their throat. It'll be old school menace like Hitchcock and Lynch, but with more gore. I mean, you gotta have some, right? It's not about plot. It's all about atmosphere. And if we can milk the tension, enough people won't give a flying fuck about who's killing who for why. And it's a terrific part. I mean, the guy's a whack, no question, but there's a pathos to his rage, misdirected though it is. This is a real Norman Bates type, but even creepier. The audience is going to go nuts for him. They'll even feel bad while they root for his death. It's killer. C.A. So in this scene, Lester, that's you, has got Alyssa tied up in her parents' basement. You've just killed her best friend, and you're busy decorating the room in her skin. Alyssa is understandably upset, and you're going to explain your rationale to her. I'll read Alyssa, and you just start on your own time. D. Okay, Gary. Take us there. J.G.
2: You don't understand, Alyssa. There's a... a gnawing at the... root of my brain. It's an insect. An army of them. And they... have been chewing... away... For two decades, I have to stop
1: it. D. Jesus, he's good. C.A. But why, Lester, why? why? Why did you have to kill Colby? G.J. Her mother took away the
2: only thing in my life. She murdered my father. She raped my childhood. She has
1: to understand what that feels like. C.A., you're a monster. Colby never did anything to you, and you are using her intestines as crepe paper. G.J., you
2: said at the hospital you, you liked my art. It keeps me sane. C.A., you're
1: insane, Lester. Please let me go.
2: G.J., not... Until you know the truth. The truth of who you really
1: are. D. Cut! C.A. I'm sorry, I have to... Sound of retching. (coughs) D. Fern, come on! G.J. Was that all right? D. All right, he asks me. Fucking yes, it was all right. Holy Buddha, you you own the screen, the intonation, the weird pacing. My God, you're in the next Chris Walken. GJ. <sighs> Thank you. C A. We've got your your number, and we'll call you we'll call you next. D. No, no, no. Fuck that. I want him. C A. Zed, we we have to talk about this. D. What's the talk about? The guy is perfect. I mean, look at him. Gary, my man, you are in. C.A. Zed, it's not that simple. We still haven't heard from all interested parties. D. Linda, who's the director here? Don't answer. I am. And this is who I want. The backers want someone else. We'll show them this tape. They will fucking flip for him. C.A. Zed, I'm sorry, Gary, but Zed, we, we can't cast him. He's hideous. The producers won't stand for it. They want they want Hollywood horror, not not horror horror. No offense, Gary. GJ None Taken C A
2: Oh okay. <laughs> It's
0: very strange. For Sheldon to survive his death without falling apart at the seams, he must find a way to balance family, career, and cannibalism. If only he can hide his secret. If only he can stop killing hobos. If only. Husk, the story of the every zombie by Corey Redikop. Thank you. Well, thank you.